Coming to you from Silicon Valley, I'm Marcus Edwards, and I'm on the hunt for recruiting leaders, producers, innovators, and pioneers who've made their mark on the industry and can't wait to share their points of view. We'll tackle the tough topics and dig deep to find the answers you're looking for and some actionable advice you can take to the bank. So stick around and stay tuned and welcome to Recruiting Trailblazers. Okay, very excited today to welcome Henna Pryor to the podcast. For 14 years, Henna was one of the top finance and accounting recruiters in the tri-state area and consistently in the top 10% of performers at K-Force, including the number one spot in 2017. In 2019, she founded the Priority Group, where she focuses on executive coaching and transformative training for high achievers. She's recently developed a course aimed squarely at helping recruiting and sales professionals massively improve their outreach game, or as she puts it, write insanely effective emails that get results. Welcome to Recruiting Trailblazers, Henna Pryor. Thank you, Marcus. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Yes. No, we've been talking about doing this together for a, for a while, having been introduced by um, Casey Jaycox, of course. So I'm very excited to have you on the podcast and let's just get stuck in. And I think it's, it's very interesting what you've been sharing with me recently about messaging. And I really want to focus on that and get some actionable sort of takeaways for people who are listening about your messaging strategies, your messaging course, et cetera. Um, and, and I think the best way to do this is to start off with the sort of high level question. Why does messaging matter so much in, in this business that we're in, in general, especially today? Yeah, that's a perfect way to start. So honestly, I'm going to answer that question in the simplest way I know how, which is with data. And the data now says that 90% of people screen their phone calls and don't pick up an unknown phone number anymore. 90%. So we are in an industry where there has been for decades an enormous emphasis on smiling and dialing and phone time and in-person connection. And I am here to say that, yes, those things are critically important in this business, but it is foolish and your team is behind the ball if you don't believe that that first part of the sales process is now heavily, heavily driven through messaging, whether it be email, whether it be LinkedIn, whether it be text, it matters immensely. And the people that do it right are seeing growth in the middle of a pandemic and the people that are behind are seeing their business flail. So it's very, very important. Right. So from that, you're saying don't pick up the phone first, message first, but still pick up the phone at some point during the process. Yeah, I actually, when I teach the course, I actually tell people we're still in a climate of do both. I think most people will leave a voicemail, but then they'll follow it up with an email and they put all the emphasis on the voicemail and give no real regard to the email. The email says, hey, just following up on my voicemail <laughs> where there's a real opportunity to put some powerful language in the email that helps you have a chance that that person's going to get back to you. So, I mean, is this as simple as just a quality versus quantity equation here? Are we just talking about writing just, you know, a better headline? Hannah, what are the key components to a successful messaging campaign? Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Well, we, we spend hours breaking it down, but I'll give you just a few highlights. So I'll answer your first question. Is it a quality versus quantity? 
it would be foolish in this industry to ever say it was one versus the other. I think right now, the challenge that staffing and recruiting have seen is that it seems to be only quantity and not enough emphasis on quality. I think if people can maintain quantity and output and volume, but increase the level of quality of each of those, they are in very good shape to be successful. And so um, headlines are one way that you mentioned. You know, I think the first thing we need to consider is that in the year 2020, people have a really finite attention span. I think the least, the recent data says something like eight seconds. You know, the attention span of a goldfish is what you've got before you lose someone. So attention getting is a key part of the process, whether that's headlines, subject lines, the first few sentences, those are absolutely mission critical. Um, and the second one, which I think is the, the most all-encompassing, but we can break it down further, is the ability to connect and convert in your messaging. So how do you write a message that not only gets the point across that you're hoping to make, but that connects with someone and converts someone in such a way that they cannot help but respond to you and want to start a dialogue and want to know more? That's the objective of every good sales messaging outreach. Now, it seems to me that I'm getting a lot more sales messaging today than I ever have before. Is that my imagination or is this a COVID factor? I think it's both a COVID factor and unfortunately, in my opinion, the factor of the fact that automation has gone up. A lot of you know LinkedIn automation tools, emails, automation tools. And while those things aren't inherently bad, uh, as a former accountant, you know, we had a term, you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? So everything is only as good as its input. And so I think a lot of these automation tools, even though they could be a great tool to have in your toolkit, they're unfortunately being abused. So people are sending out hundreds of poor impersonal messages, which is why I think it feels to so many like they're being bombarded right now. Well, getting back to what you were just saying then about the quality of the message um, mm -hmm. and connecting and converting, what does that look like? What does connecting and converting look like? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, here's here's one of the things that is helpful to understand as we talk talk about connecting and converting. So like it or not, people will instantly judge you as a recruiter and whether they not whether or not they want to work with you in any capacity based on the words that you use. So the words that you use on the phone in your voicemail, but also the words that you use in your email. And so there's a lot of ways to connect and convert. But one of the biggest mistakes that most recruiters make is they write in the way that they were taught in grade school, middle school, high school. They write, you know, the way their English teachers taught them to write. And they're not paying any attention to the right tools and techniques and, and tricks, which I can share some of that help a person feel that, OK, this person gets me. They understand me. They understand what I need and what I'm going through. And so a message that inspires someone to respond, the very first thing that that message needs to have is, is its focus is what's in it for my prospect, not what's in it for me as the recruiter, but what's in it for my prospect. And once you can start developing language that starts there, you have a much better chance of having that person feel connected to you and want to respond to you and convert into a response. Right. Because I think a lot of people, a lot of salespeople write messages, which talks a lot about them and what they want, yeah. you know, how they want to arrange a meeting or how they want to share their value proposition. Um, yeah. How do you do the reverse? So yes, you're completely dead on that. One of the biggest mistakes people make is that 
they start with their story first. So what I see most often in this business is, hi, my name is Hannah Pryor. I am from XYZ Staffing Firm and I have this many years of experience and we place this type of professional and man, I have the perfect job for you. And so what is a prospect here when they read that kind of email? What they hear is, I, 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 me, 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 my, my, blah, blah, blah. I didn't ask you any of this yet. <laughs> you know, why are you telling me your whole story? I didn't ask. And so that's not to say that what I as the recruiter have to say is irrelevant or that it's not important or not useful. It is, but not right away. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes people make is no one wants to hear about you first. When a person comes into a, an engagement with someone or if they're trying to read an email from someone who they decide on partnering with, the first question that's going through their mind is, what's in it for me? And the second and How the third. This, yeah, exactly. How is this person here to help me? And so one of the biggest mistakes people make off the bat is starting from that place rather than starting from the place of their prospect. And it really, it, it's an immediate recipe for a delete. Right, right. But isn't the first goal of any email to sort of capture their attention? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I teach it this way, that the first goal is to catch their attention through an intriguing subject line, an intriguing headline, or in the case of a social media post, in a compelling first sentence, since there's not, you know, headlines and subject lines in a regular post. Right. Job number one is get their attention that way. Job number two is to get them to read the first sentence. Yeah. So effectively, when you get their attention, you've then bought another sort of 10 or 15 seconds of their time. Exactly. Once you've bought their attention, you have now moved to round two, which is get them to read your first sentence of your email. And then next up, get their first sentence of the email to get them to read the second sentence of your email, to read the third sentence of your email. You see where I'm going yeah, with this. Of so yeah, everything is very intentional. And this is something that I think a lot of folks in the industry miss is that these emails need to be strategic in their style of being written. Each step should feed the next step to keep them engaged and not dropping off. And you've created basically a template to help people learn the best ways to construct these emails. Ah, no, I don't believe in templates. <laughs> so uh, close, but not quite. So good sales messaging in my research and in my own work follows what I feel are strong sets of blueprints and patterns and sort of theories and best practices, but I don't believe in templates because I believe that. Okay. I didn't mean to, I meant blueprint. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, truly, truly. You know, but I'm glad you said that because I think there are plenty of firms out there and plenty of recruitment training arms that will feed you templates and scripts and tell you that use my, you know, 14 day, 21 day, 30 day sales script plan. A script is a script is a script. Not every single person sounds the same you know, talks the same, writes the same. And so the, the people that do rely on these templates and scripts, I think one of the things that gets lost immediately is your own unique voice. And when you don't sound like yourself, you don't sound authentic and it's hard to build trust. And so I'm, I'm glad you made that, you know, sort of a error in term, because I think it's worth that distinguishing characteristic of a template and a script to me is really losing a lot of the whole point of this, which is genuine and authentic connection. Yeah. We all receive a lot of templated, automated emails and communications all the time. And I don't think mm -hmm. it's very hard to spot them. And what surprises me is, isn't the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again and <laughs> expecting a different result? 
Yeah, exactly right. And honestly, this is the reason that a lot of people in recruiting and staffing will burn out. And that's a lot of the reason that there's high turnover because they find themselves in a position where things aren't working. And so they send out more of the same email or they try more of the same effort and they're doing the same thing over and over and not getting a better result. It's It's a recipe for burnout. And so one of the reasons that this program and this training, I think, is landing so well with folks right now is because it brings creativity back to the industry. It brings fun back to the day. It's exhausting sending out the same generic email over and over. There's no fun in it. But you can't expect to send out one email and land a new client or a new sort of headhunted candidate, can you? One email is always a terrible assumption. If anyone is going into the business, and frankly, any kind of sales business, expecting that one email is going to seal the deal with a relationship, then I think they have to do a bit of soul searching on the level of effort that a good you know, relationship in sales takes. I think the goal of, let's just talk about cold outreach. You know, If we're going to talk about the first email, the goal of the first email is to get a response. The goal of the first email is to start a dialogue and engage this person in a conversation. The goal of the first email is never to hard sell someone into the result that you want. They can smell that desperation from a mile away. Right. So it's to charm them into believing that you're a, an individual who's reached out and personalized an email because you actually want to talk to that person? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I use the word charm. It almost sounds like a bit of a, a swindling. Right. Happening. <laughs> but, uh, I think it's truly, it's, you know, think about the way that you think of how you feel when you've gotten a communication that was clearly for you, you know, not for someone like you, not for someone in your industry or in your role, but was clearly for you and how different that feels and how likely you are to engage with someone that wrote something for you. Um, What's interesting is I'm not suggesting that every email is for you. I'm not suggesting that every email is 100% custom and personalized. I, I don't think with the speed of the industry, that's realistic. But the goal is that every email should feel like that's what's happening. That's the key. That's the key to really effective sales messaging. They should always feel like that. And I completely agree with you. I, I can't resist a personalized message. If someone's taken the time to read my profile and to speak specifically to me, uh, I will always respond. And um, I think video is something that we should touch on maybe a bit later as well. I've only received yeah. one sales video in the last couple of years. But I immediately responded and said, yeah, I'd be very happy to have a, a conversation with you. I think it was with an ATS vendor. Um, mm-hmm. But this particular person had done a custom video for me and used my name. There was no way, unless she's sharing it with all right. the other Marcuses who happen to be recruiters. <laughs> no, no, probably not. Then there is a degree of, of templating. If not every single message is different and specifically for the individual, how do you sort of go about this and craft this so it at least feels like it's a personal message. So the key is segmentation. So it's not that we're sending out one email at a time. Again, I think that's unrealistic. Obviously, if it's somebody that you are really specifically targeting, then of course you can send an individual, highly custom message. But I understand that there are times in the business where we need to do more than one person in an outreach. So the key is getting really good at segmentation. So you will not send one type of email to everyone on your list. You will not send one type of email to people that all have eight different job titles. It's 
developing really clear segmentation. And then the work that comes behind that is um, in my in my course, I teach it as ideal client avatar work. How do you start to map out this particular segment so that you can speak very powerfully just to them and what they're going through and what they're feeling and what they deal with on a day-to-day basis? A lot of that type of work is where you start to get those responses that people will say, gosh, it feels like you're in my head or God, you know, how do you even know that this is what I think about every single day? It's like, you know me already. You know, those are the types of responses that you're aiming for when you do a well-segmented email. Okay. So can you break segmentation down for us a little bit here? Sure. What what does a segment look like and, and how do you begin to sort of craft a message that might resonate with all the people in that segment? Sure, sure. So let's just go through an example. I think that's the easiest way to do it. So an example of a segment, my old world was finance and accounting. So within accounting, there were public accounting candidates. So public accountants, let's say three to five years, senior level public accountants. There are certain things that are true of a three to five year public accountant. So in that industry, they tend to work a busy season. It can be either once a year, early in the winter, you know, January to March, January to April. Sometimes people have a later in the year one as well, depending on their clients. But something that's universal to public accountants is long hours during busy season. Uh, it's also a client service industry. So, you know, they are doing typically audits or taxes for their clients. So it's a very client facing client service industry. Um, in public accounting, there's some sort of uh, pop culture references. We do, you know, checking of our documents a lot of times using red pencils, or we used to back in the day before everything became, you know, electronic and Um, You know, there's certain regulations and things people are held to. So in the messaging, once you've sort of done this initial work on what's going on with this audience, what do they deal with? You know, they tend to deal with long hours. Sometimes pre-COVID, they were dealing with long commutes to their clients that were far away. You know, what are some of the things we can speak to? So once you've segmented, you can use some universal shared language around, you know, tired of working these very long hours or is that client commute, you know, making it so that you can't ever make it home for dinner any night. Things that are resonant to that specific audience will always connect with them more deeply than a generic message that is speaking to everyone. I've, I've always used this term of when you're speaking to everyone, you're speaking to no one. You have to speak with someone. In this particular instance, you're talking about reaching out to candidates. Yeah. Yep. But the same methodology would apply to a client. So, um, you know, you can talk about, let's say, a a director of financial reporting at a big publicly traded company. So, again, there's things that we know to be true of financial reporting and SEC reporting. It's very deadline driven. You know, there's certain times a year where when it's 10K filing time, you know, they're completely in the weeds. And when they're in the quarterly 10Q, things really tick up then. So, same, same exact methodology applies. I teach it both on the candidate and client side where there's certain things that are shared experiences, shared qualities of people in certain roles. And the more you can speak to those directly in your outreach, the more likely you are to land and connect and get a response. So if the goal of the very first message is just to get a response, do you even mm-hmm. need to sort of share your value proposition or is there some other way of getting people to respond before you reveal exactly what you want. So I think it's appropriate if it's a cold outreach to share in some small way your value proposition. I think right now the issue with most initial cold messages 
is that the pyramid is flipped. So if you think of, you know, a pyramid uh, of text, most people put way too much weight in, you know, talking about themselves, talking about their firm, talking about what they do. It's almost like a upside down pyramid. All that's at the top. And then only towards the end, do they say your background? I understand this. Give me a call. It should be the other way. It should be more of the emphasis is on the person, their role, their need, what they might be going through with a sprinkling of, I'd love to tell you more about the way we do it. So you introduce the idea, but I think the problem with most sales messages is that the the reverse happens and it's too heavily loaded the other way. Right. So how strong does your call to action need to be in that very first message? Uh, I would say it's not, a, not, not an issue of strength. It's an issue of clarity. And so a lot of times, one of the biggest issues people have with their call to action is that it's either fuzzy or it's confusing <laughs> instead of clear and direct. So when it comes to call to action, one of the very best things you can do is, first of all, know exactly what you want from this message before you even start writing. So begin with the end in mind. Before you even start composing an email, what do you want to happen once this person has read this? You want someone to do something. What is that something? Can you perhaps give us an example? Sure. So let's say we're doing cold outreach to um, this director of SEC reporting that I mentioned. I want to get this person on the phone. I want to tell them more about what we do. I want to book some time on the calendar, right? So let me think. What's, what's my ideal action is I want this person to talk to me on the phone. So maybe you start writing the message, but you know that at the end, it's going to say, please let me know if you prefer 2 p.m. or 4 p.m. for a phone call tomorrow afternoon. Okay, yeah, the alternate close. Right, the action is I want to get this person on the phone. It seems obvious, but you wouldn't believe how many people end their message with, please let me know if there's a good time to connect or let me know if you'd be up for a coffee sometime. Right. You know, very vague, very loosey-goosey, very nonspecific. And in a world where people are getting hammered with electronic requests, literally by the second, the more clear and direct you can be with what you want from this person, the better. You know, it, can, it could also be, hey, you know what? I don't need to get this person on the phone right away. I just want them to respond to my email. So the call to action at the end might be, hit reply and let me know what your Friday looks like. You know, the call to action is hit reply. Got to be clear and you got to know what that is out of the gate. Okay. So we talked a little bit about headlines and, and the importance of headlines. Could you perhaps share some examples of great headlines and bad headlines and just sort of distinguish between the two for us? Sure, sure. Oh, this is my, one of my favorite things to talk about. So I'll start with the bad headlines because that's the easiest way to start. Yeah. The bad headlines are the ones that 99% of recruiters use. And it's, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say they're bad. I call them throwaway headlines. So they literally do nothing and are non-compelling. So examples of a throwaway headline are new opportunity or just checking in or just wanted to connect or, you know, touching base. Okay. People probably hear this and laugh, but I would venture to say 90% of recruiters use these throwaway subject lines right. and headlines. Mm -hmm. It's all the time. So one of the biggest mistakes people in staffing make are that subject lines are an afterthought. Subject lines are an extremely important part of this. And not just subject lines. When we talk about headlines, same thing on, you know, on LinkedIn or social media, people will share an article that they think is super interesting and the 
little caption they put on is great read, or, you know, check this out. <laughs> You're like, really, really? There's nothing compelling there. So writing good subject lines truly will make or break your book of business, truly. And so some of the distinctions are curiosity is key. You want people to be so curious about your subject line that they can't help but want to know what's next. So I'll give you an example. I recently had a client send me an email and ask, you know, tell me about this subject line. The email subject line was post-pandemic return strategies. And I said, okay, what if, you know, people kind of know their return strategies are So we changed it to don't make this major mistake when you return to the office post-COVID. Right. Yeah, that's much more compelling. Right. So now you're like, what, what's this major mistake? I don't want to make it right. You're super uh, careful about, I, I need to know what this is so I can make sure that my team's not doing this or, you know, similar examples could be top resume suggestions. Instead, I like the one, you know, are quote unquote smart words making you look dumb. What does that mean? Right. So what are, what are these smart words that are making me look dumb? I don't know. Right. So this is, this is just to give a little bit of a flavor where any subject line, any topic can be rewritten and tweaked to become much more compelling to increase your open rates exponentially. And there are, you know, templates and formulas and and strategies and blueprints on how to do that. But the key, really the overall key for anyone to know is that curiosity is key. Curiosity is paramount. You want to induce curiosity so they want to know, okay, what's in here? What's going on? And does this work on LinkedIn as well when you're sending connection requests to people perhaps you don't, you don't know well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it works really in any any capacity where you are using the written word. So in LinkedIn, on text, on email, on, you know, in mails on LinkedIn, in any capacity, you know, there's there's a few rules of thumb. And I think some are a little bit more obvious to staffing firms than others. But, you know, if you have any kind of warm connection, that's always going to be number one. Um, and, And warm doesn't mean you have to know them. I mean, you can look on their LinkedIn activity to see what they've commented on. You know, that can be something that can make a warm connection. Warm, warm connection will always win the day, in my opinion. But when it comes to cold, 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 if you don't know a thing about them, curiosity will be your best friend over and over and over again. What do you think of the outreach, which I seem to get a lot, which is we're connected to a few of the same people. You know, I'd love to have you in my network. So my opinion is that that is a sort of throwaway fake attempt <laughs> at a mm-hmm. warm connection. Um, you know, if somebody said, Henna, I see that we have a mutual contact in Marcus. You know, how do you know him? I would probably accept that LinkedIn yeah, request. Much more specific. Exactly. Yeah. But I think that's, people are starting to wise up to this general, oh, I see we have a few, you know, that that didn't take any effort. You sorted by first, second degree connections and started adding feverishly. Meh, no real effort there. The other one that really makes me cringe is, your background is very impressive. You know, I'd love to add. Uh, yeah, I'd love to add you to my network. Yeah, no, I mean that's again. These are, in my opinion, these are lazy outreach, and I would I would venture to say that a good chunk of the time those are automated because nowadays people are leaning heavily on this you know automation connection, and so these background is very impressive with no level of detail. Again, unfortunately, it's just become a little bit disheartening because it's lazy. Yeah, and I it's think starting to really show. I'm having a problem with this automation because I, I can see an automated message from a mile away. Yeah. It's so obvious when it's automated and that does not compel me to respond at all. No. Yeah. So it comes at the expense of the personal touch. Is automation something that 
It's just the people who are developing the tools are making the money here. And the rest of us are looking like a bunch of chumps because we're using, we're automating our messaging. And I can assure you that people are not getting more responses just because they're sending more automated messages, right? No, not, not in any, you know, especially in staffing, we're, we're dealing with a professional population. And so I, I, you know, I, it's not that I think all automation is bad. I think that would be too dramatic for me to say that, but I think that there needs to be significant investment in training people on how to write effectively and how to segment effectively in order to not vastly abuse the automation. And unfortunately, they're not getting any of that. So the automation is being sadly, you know, sorely abused. And then what happens, unfortunately, is let's say you did a a terrible automation blast. You can't take that back. I mean, once that's out, that's out. So if you ever try to reach that person a second time, they see that crappy attempt you made the first time. And it, it doesn't bode well for your chances of trying again. So it's really you know, to your point, it's really hurting a lot of people, I think, if they're not doing it well. Yeah. And outreach is an extremely important part of what a recruiter does on a daily basis, either to candidates or to clients. And so wouldn't it be a better strategy? I understand that if you segment automation, it's it's going to work a lot better than if you don't. But still, wouldn't you even be better off just writing 20 actual personal messages than sending out 100 automated ones? Wouldn't you get a better response? Every time. Yeah. I mean, one of the first things I tell people when it comes to their messaging is, you know, we talk a little bit about their frustration. And when we start to break it down, I pretty much get some version of the same frustration, which is, okay, you know, I was sending out 50 messages a day and now I'm sending a hundred and I'm getting even less responses. What's going on? And I, you know, these days on Zoom, I can't grab people by the Mm -hmm. shoulders, but if I could, I would say, I don't want you to send 50. I don't want you to send 100. I don't want you to send any more of that message. I would rather rather you doubling the 50. I would rather you half it to 25 and write 25 well-written, thought-out messages. You know, half the amount, better quality, and see where that takes you. And once we start to go down that road, like heads are exploding. They're like, wow, I can't believe this. I'm like, I can't believe that no one cautioned you that the other way was going to you know, give you that result. And so, yeah, I slow people right down from that, from that angle, for sure. Yeah. And one of the things that when we sort of discussed doing the podcast and, and you took me through this um, for a few minutes, mm-hmm. you were talking about having a little bit of fun at the beginning of the email and sort of yeah. sharing an anecdote or, or hooking people in with, with something just a lot more human. Can you give us an example or can you talk about that strategy and then give us one or two examples? Sure. Yeah. You know, I think the thing that sometimes in staffing and recruiting that we forget is that there was, you know, somewhere decades ago, someone decided that, oh, we all need to speak to each other in a very, you know, buttoned up, corporate, stiff, professional tone. And I'm here to say that we need to not confuse warm and friendly with unprofessional. They're very different things. You can be wildly warm and friendly and still be extremely professional. And one of the ways that I love to do that is to just create some commonality, you know, create something interesting. And so one of the things that, um, you know, I I had been helping someone play with is, you know, think about what you're trying to say in the message and then connect it to what we're all going through. God knows we are all stressed in COVID and this has been a lot on everyone. So the example that, you know, came to mind most recently was, you know, a recruiter was telling me about a candidate that she found. She said, gosh, this candidate, Hannah, is a rock star. And, 
you know, this person with this background, this Java developer from this industry is so rare and so hard to find. To me, I should be able to get this person, you know, in front of people hand over fist. And for some reason, I'm having trouble getting their attention. I said, okay, tell me more about this person. And she says, well, you know, having this combination of skills is very rare. You know, there's versions of of these people that exist out there, but they they just don't do the job as well. You know, this one's an ace in the hole. And so we started to think about this together. And I said, well, what else is rare right now? And she jokingly said, you know, a a can of name brand Lysol. Can't find that anymore. You might be able to find the like, you know, dollar store stuff, but you can't find any name brand Lysol on the shelves anymore. And I said, bingo, that's that's where we're going to go. And so where we ended up was the subject line was, what's more rare than a can of Lysol? And the first sentence was something about, you know, my target's been out of the real deal Lysol for weeks and I've had to settle for this, you know, ineffective, half the amount of, <laughs> you know, bacteria killing dollar store version. And God, I just can't wait to throw this out and get the good stuff, you know? And you can see the analogy there. This Java developer that she has is the Lysol amongst the dollar store, you know, not as good, yeah. <laughs> you know, sanitizer. So it's just, it's bringing this element of humanity back into the message. And she got, she sent that email out to, I think, 15 managers and got 14 responses. Wow. Suddenly everybody's going to be putting yeah. Lysol in their, in their messaging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come up with something different. But, uh, you know, that's that's just proof in the pudding that not only does this work, but I'll tell you, prospects are yearning for a laugh. They're yearning for not even they don't have to be funny. They're just yearning for something interesting to read. You know, it's just they're all in the mood for this. I mean, I know when I get an email in my message from any you know company or vendor and it's a bit playful or a little bit less serious, I'm much more inclined to open it these days. And so the, the key is not. You don't have to be funny, but I think the key is to just stop being generic and to start being a bit more innovative in your presentation. Right. So the bar is actually not that high. No, no. I have one of the people that went through the program with me was like, oh, Hannah, I'm not funny. I'm not funny at all. And I said, you don't have to be funny. But, you know, I, I asked his coworkers, I said, what is he like? And they started to describe the way he was. And they said, are you like this on your email to your clients? And he's like, no. I said, I want you to be you. I don't want you to be the funny person next to you. I just want you to put your own spin on things. And so we kind of found his voice and, and made it his own Excellent. as well. Oh, that's great. Okay. So, so being funny works, but you have to stay professional. Uh, being boring does not work. Uh, you've got to do something to hook and engage. You've got to get that initial response back somehow, right? Sure. Uh, you know, and I think I don't want to make it seem like everything has to be this you know, massively well-written, creative, funny, you know, that that's not the exercise here. I think what needs to be really just the, the line in the sand is that people need to understand that boring and bland is forgettable. You need to not be forgettable in whatever form that takes for you. And, you know, in the program, we explore how to find your own authentic voice. You're not expected to have mine or someone else's. But whatever voice you fall into, it just cannot be forgettable or you won't stand out no matter how hard you try. And what kind of results? I mean, let's sell the course here for a second, or at least the concept <laughs> of what you do. Okay. So what kind of impact are you having on people's messaging in terms of like per 100 emails, old versus new, um, their style versus henna style? 
Sure. I would say on average, and obviously, you know, results may vary because some people apply this with gusto and theirs far exceed this. And then some people, not very many, I'm proud of this because my coach training makes it so people don't backslide, but some people fall back into their old safe, stale emails. But I would say on average, you know, out of a hundred emails, I'm seeing a four to five X improvement. So if people were getting a 10% response rate before, they're now getting 40, 50, you know, for every hundred. Now, let me clarify. That's not to say that every single person responds and says, yes, I would like to see more details. Yes, I would like to give you the job order. But again, as I said at the beginning, that is not the objective, not in this market. The objective is to start a meaningful dialogue so that you're more likely to be able to work with this person either now or in the future. So if I'm saying four to five X, just know that that is the goal. The goal is to start creating more people in your orbit that will then be more likely to respond to you when they are ready and more likely to reach out to you when they are ready. And people are seeing this hand over fist again, without many exceptions at all. So are you counting people who might get back to you and say, really appreciate your message, but now's not the right time? Um, Potentially. Sometimes it depends. I mean, again, when it comes to, let's talk about LinkedIn specifically. If people accept your message and say, hey, now's not the right time, but you know, we'd like to stay in each other's orbit. I think what's important to recognize about that is that that is still now a warm person. LinkedIn now recognizes that as someone who's gotten back to you and you can engage and continue to have a, a talking relationship with that person in the future without being penalized or without having it count as something that you've used up an in-mail on. So any type of engagement that you can start to build or any type of response that you can build is going to help you in the long run, both generally with the algorithm and visibility, but also when it comes to re-engaging certain people yeah. down the road. Now, in terms of the body or the content, you know, once you've grabbed their attention, you've got them reading, what do you recommend as the sort of main body of your initial message? Because I've always thought that sharing outcomes and and benefits is better than features and functions. Um, what do you recommend in terms of just giving somebody a flavor or an idea about what you're capable of if they were to engage with you? Yeah, no. So, so first of all, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear you say that because you're already steps ahead of most people when it comes to that. So one thing that you mentioned is spot on is there's historically in, in the industry, much too much of a focus on features versus benefits. So if not anyone is familiar or if there is anyone that's unfamiliar with what you've just said, you know, features are the the components of something. So they're what something is, you know, a 40 hour work week. That's a feature. A benefit is what something does for you. So benefits are the end result that what you're offering helps your candidate or client experience or get. So in other words, it answers that so what or why should I care? So features are more factual and informational. Benefits are more emotional. And what's key about this is people buy the benefits. So if we use that same example, if the feature is a true 40-hour work week, the benefit could be something like a schedule so predictable that you can play dodgeball with your daughter and be home for dinner every night. Right. Yeah. You know? Much more compelling. That's the... The so what, what's in it for me? What's, why do I care? This is why. And so 100%, I think the emails should always have some degree of emphasis on the benefits, especially if you're trying to pitch something, whether it's a 
job order to a candidate or your services to a client. Um, also, you know, the, the way there's a few different email structures and frameworks that I go through in the program, but generally speaking, some of the components that you need are the empathy and understanding bit, you know, some version of, I get where you're sitting right now, or I get what you're going through. I understand what it's like for you right now. I, I, I see you. I'm not just, you know, naively looking outward in, like I get it. There needs to be a component of that every single time. Um, you know, some, some benefits piece, as you mentioned, and then some of the other pieces are some, some component of trust. This is why I'm worth talking to. And then finally that call to action that needs to be there every single time. Um, and again, you'd be surprised how many times people go through this great email. And then at the end, it's let's connect sometime, <laughs> you know, something super vague. And I'm like, oh, all this hard work. And you left it all loosey goosey at the end. So, you know, those are just some of the components. So you're talking about actually including some proof that you can do what you say you can do. Sure, there may yeah. be um, some recent successes that, that perhaps you've had on behalf of a client in a similar industry or vertical. Yeah. I mean, trust, trust or social proof could exist in a number of different ways. It could be a testimonial from another client or candidate that you include. It could be a reference to the number of years that you've been in the business. If you're, if you're a veteran, it could be the number of people you've placed in this company or in this industry, number of people with similar backgrounds that you've worked with. It could be, you know, even for someone brand new, I, I recently coached someone that has been in the industry for exactly two days when we went through the program. And for her, I said, you know, social proof doesn't have to always be you. It can also be things that your firm has done. It can be just benefits that, you know, through your research of using a staffing firm, you know, some of the statistics around that. There's a, there's a million ways to include that trust and social proof component, but especially on a cold outreach when it's someone who doesn't know you at all. Oh man, it is critical to have some component of this is why I'm, I'm worthwhile. And this is why I'm worth, worth your attention. So you've been using these techniques, obviously, for a long time. You're a top performer at K-Force. Yes. Um, how does the approach differ on the client side and the candidate side? Because there's, there are two very different outcomes that you're looking for when you approach either mm -hmm. a candidate or a client. Are there ways in which you teach people to construct these emails differently? Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I, I actually would challenge that thought. It's actually not that different on a candidate and client. I think fundamentally some of the methodology is the same. Where there is a distinction and where it is different is a little bit more on the active versus passive. So that that applies on both sides. So when you have an active candidate or an active client that has a hot need and a pain point, that's a little bit of a different approach versus a completely passive candidate or a client that doesn't have an active need and that you're just trying to build a relationship with, um, I would say the distinction is much heavier there. Otherwise, it's really, you know, on the client and candidate side, it's just really some slight tweak in the language. You know, we're talking about jobs or openings when we're talking to candidates, we're talking about potential candidates and some of our service offerings when it comes to the client. So those, those pieces actually don't differ that much. It's more of, are we dealing with somebody who's warm and there's a need and there's a pain point and we know it, or are we dealing with someone that has no idea that this is something that yeah. they need and we need to convince them that it is, you know, that's, that's where the bigger distinction comes in. Now, now sequencing has become a big thing in the automation side of, of outreach recently. And there's lots of companies, we keep mentioning them. And how do you see 
the sequence of emails sort of progressing if you don't get a response to your first one? And do you sort of coach or teach that strategy, how to develop a, a series of emails and then the cadence with which you would send those emails out? Yeah. You know what? We talk about it, but I think that's one of those things that it does vary wildly depending on the company. So people have a number of different objectives for sequencing. I think when it comes to the sequencing, you know, the email sequences, it is something that we tend to see, at least I've seen so far with my clients, they use a little bit more on the client side than they do the candidate side. I think on the candidate side, there seems to be more of a favor towards like a newsletter or something, you know, something that's just more a a warm touch point every few weeks. Um, but really, I think that the sequencing really depends on the objective. So I don't believe in, you know, and no surprise to you, probably based on everything I've said, I don't believe in a one size fits all sequen sequencing. I think it really depends. What do you want? You know, what is the hope? Are you trying to inform a client about these specific things that you offer? Are you trying to you know, build a trust and credibility factor? Are you trying to just stay in front of them? Are you trying to be perceived as a thought leader? So I think like everything else I've mentioned, it's one of those things where you need to get pretty crystal clear on who you're talking to. What's the segment? How do I speak their language and really show that this is in it for them? If it's another email sequence about all the things that you do well, that you're just trying to brag about, I would encourage someone to rethink why they have a sequence to begin with. Now, do you actually recommend any specific tool sets in terms of like discovery or outreach itself or sequencing or any of these automation tools to, to your yeah, clients? No, you know what? I, I don't yet. And that's only because, and, and, you know, I hate to sound like a broken record. I think no matter which tool you use, there's a real danger of abuse right now. And so if I do talk about, you know, tech and tools, I would say one of the main ones I've been talking about lately is. Not everyone's email has it, but um, having some sort of uh, metric uh, evaluator around open rates, I think that's extremely helpful. So nowadays, you know, even people who use G Suite can uh, get an extension that um, shows them what their open rate is on their emails. And so every Outlook, Gmail, um, you know, there's just all the proprietary different ones. There seems to be now some extension or tech that you can enable that will give you a sense of how is this even doing for us? You know, is this working at all? And so I think one of the very first tech practices people should adopt before they even start with sequences or automation is are the, are our messages getting traction or not, you know, like start there before you even start to think about investing in tools that are just going to automate more poorly written messages. Excellent you know, point. Not to be, not to be negative. So kind of to wrap up here, and obviously in, in a minute, I'll just give you an opportunity to share your, your contact info or whatever, and I'll post it on the show notes as well. But where do people start? I mean, what's the very first, what are the one or two main things that are going to make the biggest difference to their messaging today? If they're listening to this podcast right now, and then they're going to get back into their email and start writing to candidates and clients, what are the one or two things they should do immediately that could make the biggest impact? Oh, oh I, I'd love to see one thing in particular out of the gate, which is if everyone industry-wide could please, please stop starting an email with, hi, I'm so-and-so from such-and-such -such firm. I, I, I would love if everyone could just start their emails with something about their prospect. If we as an industry, you know, talent acquisition, internal recruiting, staffing could all just make that one switch, the amount of 
email response rates would just in that one act alone, I think really change significantly because people are really tired of this sort of self-serving email. So that that's my one big ask. Um, I think my second ask, if I were to be able to say two, is please, please stop keeping subject lines as an afterthought. You know, you're, you're working so hard. You're killing yourself writing these big, long messages that no one is reading because your subject line is an afterthought. So if people could just spend a little bit more energy on becoming the best subject line writer they can be. You know, obviously my program is one way to do that. But even if they don't take my program, just start paying attention to your own inbox. You know, which emails did you open? Which emails did you automatically delete? This will start giving you a sense of what the difference is between a compelling subject line and one that's not, not going anywhere. Brilliant. Two excellent points. Okay, so let's wrap up here for a minute, Henna. Um, perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about the course and how people can reach you if they want to enroll. Oh, I'd love to. So the course is called the Recruiter's Copy Clinic. It is for both internal talent acquisition and external staffing professionals, both on the delivery side and the sales side. And I'm just, I'm extremely proud of it. It is the world's only sales messaging and copywriting masterclass series for this industry specifically. It's something that's unique. The examples are chock full of things that are really just for us. And you know, truly, this is one of those things that it's learnable. You know, I think there's been this very old misconception that either you're born being a good writer or you're not. And I'm here to tell you that nobody was born being a good recruiter or sales professional. You know, you learned. And this is a skill that pays for life. You know, writing high converting sales messages on a moment's notice will increase your response rates exponentially, which will multiply your revenue exponentially. And so um, if anyone's interested in just talking more about it, my email is probably the best way to just schedule a phone call with me. And that's henna at priority group, group P-R-Y-O-R-I-T-Y group.com. I'd love to chat. Or they can just connect with you on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you can just find me there. I'm th- I think I'm the only Hannah Pryor that I've seen on there. So they can find me there. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for having a chat with me today on recruiting trailblazers and revealing so many of your secrets. Uh, everybody who's listened to this is going to be obviously upping their messaging game immediately and uh, maybe so. we'll get you one or two clients as well. So thanks a lot for coming on the show and uh, we'll speak again soon. Thank you, Marcus. I had fun. Great. Cheers. 